Hey, welcome to Life Point Church. How you doing, church? Hey, my name is Pastor Bo Jensen, and I have the honor and privilege of being one of our staff pastors here. I want to take a moment to welcome, sorry, I almost got choked there for a second. Welcome everyone to Life Point, whether you join us online or here in the room at our Rossview Road location. We're so excited that you're with us here today. If you're new with us, if you've just been joining us here recently, we want to connect with you as Pastor Jordan just said. We want you to reach out to us by simply texting LPC to 31996. That's LPC to 31996. We're going to just give you a few next steps. We're, I promise we're not going to bombard you. We just, again, want to connect with you. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone that's faithful in their giving of their tithes and offerings. Your giving is absolutely making a difference, whether you're giving online, in person here at our Rossview Road location or through the mail. Again, your giving is making a difference. I interact with people online from various different parts of the world. I interact with people in our lobby, and I'm telling you, you're making the difference. Lives are being changed. So thank you for being faithful with your generosity and your giving. All right, I'm going to make a really bold statement. Is that all right? I'm going to make a super bold statement. I am above average. Not in many things, but there's one specific thing that I'm above average at. And it is, in fact, my height. You got it right. I'm above average. You know, the U.S. male, uh, the males in the USA, on average, are 5'10". And inevitably, being this tall, I get a lot of questions. Number one being, how tall are you? And so I tell people I'm 6'5", and if I ever had a dime for every time somebody asked me that, I think I might be a multimillionaire, to be honest with you. But inevitably, again, I get a lot of questions, especially when I'm with our lead pastor, Pastor Mike Burnett. He's 6'6", I'm 6'5", but in the wintertime when I grow my hair out a little bit, I'm a little taller than him because my hair puffs up a little bit. But anyways, when we are together, we inevitably get this question. Do you have to be tall to be a pastor at LifePoint Church? <laughs> Which I respond immediately with, of course not. Pastor Jordan's on our team. <laughs> and his last name is Smalley at that. But recently, Pastor Mike and I were traveling. We are about to board a plane and and I remember telling him, because you know we're both tall, I remember saying to him, like, hey, where's your seat? Because I'm on a window seat. And he quickly, like, went to the front desk because our seats were right next to one another and we didn't necessarily want to cuddle all our way back to Nashville. And so he comes back with his head down a little bit and I was like, you couldn't get the seats changed? He was like, no, nah, it's a full flight. So as we're boarding the plane, many of you know that Pastor Mike is not bashful at all. And so as we duck into the plane, and you know, we have to keep our heads like this as we're walking, both of us, he announces to the whole entire plane, two biggest guys on the plane, we're going to be sitting next to each other right here. And I think he said this with hopes that somebody would offer up, maybe switch with us. Nobody did. <laughs> so we rode back to Nashville right next to each other, fighting over the armrest. But it was a great trip. And you know, what's Amazing to me is that people just assume that when they ask this question, I'm going to respond with yes, but they go, hey, since you're that tall, you must play basketball. And I respond with, of course, you didn't know I was drafted in the NBA. And so I lie occasionally. And then I'm like, yeah, I was like Tom Brady. 
drafted in the sixth round, y'all. Okay, I thought that would land a little bit better than that. He's the goat. I guess I'm not. All right. But anyways, as I was saying, you know, being this tall, people often ask me if I played basketball. And I did play basketball in high school. Actually, let me rephrase that. I was on the basketball team. Occasionally, when we were down by 20 or up by 20, that's when I got to go in the game. I was always like praying, let's beat these guys. Let me get in the game. But anyways, I get in the game one, one, uh, one, one game. We were on the road visiting a team, and I was inserted in the game. And, you know, there's these once-in-a-lifetime moments that if you don't capitalize on them, they will literally pass you by. And so I actually had this moment in the game The ball is thrown right in front of me. We have this fast break. Believe it or not, I beat everyone down the court. And so, excuse me, as as soon as I'm about to grab the ball, I start making my ascent to the rim to throw down a dunk. I see the anticipation of all my teammates on the bench as they're about to stand up to their feet to start cheering for me because I'm I'm literally stretched out like this. I'm going up. I'm about to throw it down. And then as quickly as I made my ascent, I made a descent. Because I tripped over my feet, I face planted on the floor, and the ball rolled right out of bounds in slow motion. As I was laying there on the floor, I turned without getting up yet, and I saw the disappointment on my teammates' faces, almost as if, man, we knew that was about to happen. (laughs) Am I the only one that has embarrassing moments from high school? Seriously, am I the only one? I think we've all experienced embarrassing moments. Sometimes these moments can make us feel like we fail. Honestly, they can make us feel like we don't even need to be a part of the team. If it's failure, we're all acquainted with it. Whether it's in a game or in life, again, we've all experienced failure. Whether it's in a relationship, maybe you said something or did something that hurts someone, Maybe you're here today and you failed an assessment for a promotion, or maybe you failed getting your sales quota for your organization. We're all well acquainted with failure. And it, you know what it does? It elicits these emotions, right? We feel insecure sometimes about our abilities, and we have these feelings of inadequacy, unqualified, or maybe even disqualified. The feeling, feeling of failure may not necessarily make you feel that way. It could just be your circumstance because of whatever reason you find yourself questioning whether your skills that God's given you are worth advancement or promotion. As we continue with our Acts series, we're going to pick up with uh, the story or actually Peter's message, his sermon in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, if you have your Bibles with you today. And I, I can't help but wonder if Peter felt inadequate as he's about to speak, if he felt unqualified as he was about to share with the crowd that had gathered for Pentecost about Jesus. If you examine the life of Peter, you would know that his story, his biography is full of failures. Prime example of Peter's capacity to fail is found in his first interaction with Jesus. He's been fishing all night, hasn't caught one thing, and this carpenter slash rabbi comes up and tells him to cast his nets on the other side. He does so, catches a bunch of fish, and as he's pulling in these fish, he literally turns to Jesus and tells him, depart from me, for I'm a sinner. 
You know, I think he's reeling from the thoughts of his inadequacy in his trade as a fisherman, and he can't fathom the thought that Jesus is about to ask him to follow him. Nevertheless, Jesus invites him, Peter, to follow him. And along the way, Peter has more failures. Some of us are well acquainted with them. He sunk as he was walking to Jesus out on the water. He, he tells Jesus he doesn't need to be crucified. In addition, he does this. He denies Jesus three times. And before he denied Jesus three times, he tried to defend Jesus by cutting off the ear of a soldier. Maybe you feel like Peter here today. You feel unqualified because of your past, maybe even what you're going through right now. You don't feel like you have the authority to share Jesus with others. You've accepted God's grace and his forgiveness, but you question God's ability to use you to share Jesus with others. And as a result, this has caused some partial paralysis spiritually in your life. Yet, as you will see today, As Peter is preaching, as we pick up from this message, he doesn't make any qualifying statements before he starts sharing Jesus with a crowd. And Peter is fully aware that there are people in the crowd that are well acquainted with his own failures. This is just 50 days after he denied Jesus three times. So the very person who denied Jesus three times is now the person making a case for Christ for Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth to be exact, that he didn't just live, he didn't just die, but he resurrected and he was exalted to the right hand of the Father God. And again, I think you're going to see in today's text that Peter, that this proves that God, God can use anybody. He can empower anybody through the power of the Holy Spirit. You will see today The spiritual people share Jesus. And that's why I've entitled today's message, Spiritual People Share Jesus. And they share Jesus despite their present and past failures. I want to further drive this point home that we heard from last week's message that God can use anybody because Peter, if you remember from Pastor Mike's message, and if you've caught, if you missed anything, I want you to go back and get caught up to this message series because this message series is powerful. The Pastor Mike said that Peter quoted Joel, and Joel said he'll use male, female, young, and old. He'll use anybody to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So sharing Jesus is not reserved, nor is it segregated to an elected or selected few. It's not a chosen profession where you must qualify yourself. Furthermore, sharing Jesus is not reserved for those people that I feel this call to preach the gospel. It's not. It's for everyone that has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You are now empowered to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And let me just clearly say, the word preach just means simply proclaim. It means to share. So, All of you are, in fact, preachers. Say amen to that. You may not feel like you are. You may feel like you're disqualified, but I'm letting you know that you are not disqualified to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit if you, in fact, have put your faith in Jesus Christ. So as we pick up where we left off from last week's message in Acts, Peter is explaining to the crowd of thousands, believing Jews, and non-believing Jews, religious people that have come to celebrate Pentecost. Pastor Jordan just mentioned this just a second ago. They've come to celebrate Pentecost. It's 50 days after Jesus resurrected. 
And all these Jews are witnessing and experiencing this phenomenon called the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit is actually what Jesus of Nazareth promised would come. And so I want to encourage you to lean into this message as we take a further look into Peter's message. And I want you to notice that Peter shares Jesus. And he highlights the fact that spiritual people share Jesus because he ends the agony of death. That right there, my friends, is good news. That's good news. Let me go to the scriptures. Let's just see what Peter says. Peter says, men of Israel. He's literally standing up. Pastor Mike said this last week. He stood up in front of everyone, and he's getting their attention. He says, "Hear hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. I think it's interesting that he's using Jesus of Nazareth because he's letting them know Jesus was from Nazareth. He was this carpenter. He was human. He was fully human yet fully God. But he's trying to make this spiritual connection. He said he's a man. He's fully God. He's attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. And then he says, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan. Everybody say definite plan. And the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter starts proclaiming Jesus has resurrected and the fact that he's, he's done all these miracles in these peoples that are hearing him in their midst. The scriptures say, or actually, if you count up the scriptures of all the miracles of Jesus, there's 37 total. And he's telling his Jewish audience that they are, in fact, responsible for delivering Jesus up to the lawless people, the, the Gentiles, the Romans. And he's saying, you are responsible. That's a bold statement. And then he's like, hey, but you saw Jesus. You saw him do these signs. You saw him do these miracles. Yet you disregarded him as the Christ. I think we can all agree, for those that have been following Jesus for quite some time, even for a short amount of time, I think you can all agree that there are moments in our lives where we've missed God, we've ignored God, we, we have chosen to go our own way. And I think Peter is trying to appeal to that aspect that, you know what, you've ignored him up until this point, but I'm now preaching to you to let you know that he is in fact the Christ. In this message that Peter is attempting to get the Jews to take responsibility for their actions, he emphasizes that part, that you delivered him over to lawless men. Why would he bring that up? That's the question that I had as I was preparing. Like, why would he bring that up? Well, I think the reason why he brought that up is because he knew his audience couldn't fathom a Messiah and a Savior that would be crucified in shame and in agony. They thought their Messiah and Savior would overthrow the Romans. He would win. He would be victorious. So it's a tough text to look at because on one hand, the the cross, the crucifixion is this vicious plot. But on the other hand, it was a victory plan. On the other hand, it was a victory plan. If you look at this, it said, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That That means this. Man had a plan, but God used that plan to bring about life to us. He used that plan. And here's the thing. It was victory over death. The Jews were looking for deliverance over Roman dictatorship, and God gave them deliverance from death 
instead. And that, my friends, we should all be celebrating that. That's why we worship every Sunday. We worship the risen and resurrected Savior, that he gives us hope and he ends the agony of death, that our time on earth is not the final word or the final say. 1 Corinthians 15 and 26 says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That was actually Paul that said that. And then Peter turns around. He says, God raised Jesus Christ of Nazareth, loosening the pangs. Everybody say pangs. That's a weird word in the English language. Like we don't go around saying that very much. It's sometimes confused with pain, but it's actually pangs. And he's loosened the pangs of death. We'll come back to that in a second. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The power of God resurrected Jesus from the dead. And this gives us hope. No matter how horrific or tragic our time on earth ends. When we put our faith in Jesus, his victory over death, this gives us a living hope over the agony and the power of death. The phrase agony or the agony of death, what I'm referring to here is the emotional stress of coping with our own mortality. And uh, in this text, I, I think it's interesting, again, that word, pangs. In the original language, it's more accurately described as the intensity of pain during childbirth. I don't know if you've been in the room when your children were born, if you have children, but I was in the room for all four of my children being birthed. My wife wants me to make sure I say that correctly. They were birthed, all right? But the last two were all natural because my wife is a champion and she's tougher than I. But I remember when I was in that room in the intensity of the pain. And I can also remember me trying to crack a joke or two to try to, you know, lighten the pain. That didn't go so well. She told me to shut up. Like literally said, you need to shut up. I was like, okay, sorry. But you know what? That pain faded as they placed our child in her arms. And pain went to joy. And look, we will not escape death, but death doesn't have its final say. Just as the pain in childbirth gives way to joy, we have a joy that's coming on the other side of our time here on earth. Amen? Look, I don't want to disregard the agony of pain, the reality of pain. It's very real. It's so real, in fact, that Jesus experienced a fearful emotion, like he experienced the weight and the agony of what it meant to go and die on the cross, so much so that he sweat blood. So when we think about our own mortality or the mortality of our loved ones, it can induce fear, hopelessness, depression, anxiety. All these thoughts can flood our minds. That's very real. However, I think Peter is stating emphatically that these intense emotions that we face over our own mortality, even the mortality of our loved ones. He has conquered all that on our behalf. Sin and death no longer has its final word. And when our minds go to these places, we must in turn go to the promises of God. We gotta go to the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And you know what I think is incredible? That not only he loosened the pangs of death, but 
the fact that these disciples grabbed. Man, they, they held tight to what happened right here. Like Peter completely changes his life. He goes from being fearful 50 days ago to now being bold, so, so bold enough that he disregards his own life. And many of the other disciples disregard their own life in fearlessness because they died for the faith. And I think that itself should change the way we live our lives as Christians. Because of this, it should change the way we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So in the face of a pandemic, rumors of war, political polarization, a diagnosis, our past, our present, we share Jesus because he's the hope of the world and because he ends the agony of death and also Spiritual people share Jesus because they know how to share God's word. I want you to notice that Peter goes to God's word. Pastor Mike illuminated this uh, last week as well, that Peter goes to God's word. And, and Peter goes to quote Psalm 16, the words of David. And he says to David concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. He says, therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. Let me tell you something. If you ever struggle to pray like I do, use these words of David in your prayer. God, I'm struggling right now, but I'm going to let my tongue rejoice. I am putting my hope in you right now, even though I feel hopeless. I pray the prayers of David all the time. Look, you can hijack them, steal them. It's called Christian borrowing. He said, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. And then he ends it with this. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. When Peter starts sharing this, he's sharing God's word in the right context. That's what spiritual people do. They share God's word in the right context, and the right context in his audience at that time needed to hear this connection with this ancient scripture because it was a messianic psalm. It did not take them by surprise that he would try to make this connection with Psalm 16 to being Jesus Christ of Nazareth and a fulfillment that he would be the Messiah. So he's making this reference, and again, like I said, spiritual people share Jesus, because they know God's word and they know how to share God's word in the right context. So this means we don't share God's word to prove a point or misuse God's word to prove a point or make our agenda made known by misusing or abusing God's word. You know, I went on a mission trip one time to Mardi Gras. That's, I'm for real, it was a mission trip. Some of you are like, mm, I like, mm, I felt the Lord leading me on that mission trip. <laughs> Sounds a bourbon street. Ooh, praise God. We're praying for you right now, actually. We're praying for you. Anyways, I was on this mission trip in Mardi Gras, and there was a lot of people sharing God's word, but they were using God's word to shame people into the faith. I was standing on Bourbon Street, and uh, remember, I'm above average. I'm 6'5", but this guy that was not above average come up to me, and he put his finger in my face. And he said, you're going to bust hell wide open, boy. I was like, first off, I had to pray in the Holy Ghost <laughs> that I not shall lay hands on him in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. uh, 
But I said, no, sir, I'm not. I said, I've given my life to Jesus. Jesus died for me. He resurrected on the third day. I've gone all in with my faith with Jesus, and therefore I live for him. He is my hope in this life and the life to come. So no, sir, I'm not going to bust hell wide open. I'm actually going to bust heaven wide open. He looked at me. Let me tell you. He looked at me. He goes, boy, are you sober? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, then what you doing out here? And I said in the most country accent I possibly could, I said, well, brother, I'm doing about the same thing you're doing. I'm just going about it just a little bit differently than you are. (laughs) God's word shared appropriately does this. It removes shame. Because Jesus became our shame on the cross. He removes shame. Look, God's word shared appropriately in this context is trying to say, hey, you're responsible for Jesus' death, but I want to share it in such a way that it will remove that shame, even though you're taking responsibility for it. Look, there's a major difference between sharing, debating, and arguing. I'm not interested, nor do I have time to argue or debate. I just want to share what God's done for me. So I want to encourage you to do the same. One of the main reasons why Peter is sharing God's word in this moment is because, you know, God's word gets on the inside of us and it just becomes an overflow of who we are. It changes us. And look, you may not feel like you know enough scripture, but let me encourage you. Start studying God's word. Get into a small group. When you get into that small group, God's word gets inside of you. And again, it changes you from the inside out. And Peter gives more commentary from the scripture that he just shared. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence, everybody say confidence, about the patriarch David that he both died and he was buried in his tombs with us today. Being therefore not just a king and a legendary king at that, but he's a prophet. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. For he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection. You see, he's making the connection to the, to the psalm here in 16, Psalm 16, that it's because of the resurrection he is now the Christ. Jesus of Nazareth is in fact the Christ because he was not abandoned to Hades. His flesh did not see corruption. He's also making this point that, look, we know where David is buried. He did not resurrect. So he's not talking about himself. He's talking about the promised descendant that would come and reign on the throne and be savior and king forever. And so his audience is making this connection because he's making a case for Christ. Look, there was this popular popular belief in that day among Jews And even Gentiles, that Hades was the final destination for all people. It was all done. It was the final destination. And Peter's saying, nope, it's not. And David prophesied that. Peter uses God's words in this moment to make a connection to the hope that we all have in the resurrection through Jesus Christ. And then he said, this Jesus God raised up and that we, everybody say we. That's important right there. We're all witnesses. And here's why that's important. Because he's making this connection. He's using two pieces of evidence. He's using the scriptures, ancient scriptures at that, that this audience would know. They would be fully aware of. But then he's saying, hey, I have seen it with my own eyes. I've seen the resurrected Savior with my own eyes. And I think it's interesting. 
None of the disciples, Peter included, anticipated or thought he was resurrect. That's why the scriptures say when he did, they were frightened. They were startled. That's why the scriptures say uh, when they, it says they thought they saw a ghost. And then Jesus invites Thomas to put his fingers in the holes of his hands. And they all start to realize this is, in fact, the resurrected Savior. And, and Peter's going, hey, you don't have to believe my word. You can believe the word of all these witnesses that are here today. There are, in fact, a lot of them. It's not just the disciples, but Jesus appeared. There's 12 different appearances in Scripture. And one time he appeared to 500 people. And many of them are present that day. So he's saying, hey, just don't take my word for it. You can take their word for it as well. He's making this case for Christ. And so what can we pull from this scripture that we just read here? It's this. We share Jesus by sharing God's word appropriately in context, and we use our own testimony as well. And remember, spiritual people share Jesus despite their past and their present failures. You will see that Spoiler alert, that almost 3,000 people give their lives to the faith here in just a little while. If you continue to stay with us throughout this series. But what's amazing also is that spiritual people share Jesus because it is in fact God's promise for everyone. Every single person on the face of the planet. And look what Peter says in verse 33. He says, being therefore exalted. Everybody has to say this word, exalted. This is very significant right here. This is very significant because he's at the right hand of God. And this is a phrase that this Jewish audience would know that he is making this a connection again. That Jesus didn't just live, he died, he resurrected, and now he's exalted at the right hand of God. See, in scripture, there were multiple people that resurrected. It's in actually Matthew towards the latter half. So when Jesus died and he resurrected, there was more than one that resurrected. Even Elijah didn't die. He, re- he was kind of resurrected in a cloud or whatever. Or actually, it was in a fire. Whirlwind of fire. Read your Bible. Do what it says. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's in there, I promise. But there were more than one person that resurrected on the day that Jesus did. It says they went around testifying. But none of them were seated at the right hand of God except for Jesus of Nazareth. And this is particularly important for us to understand because having received the, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So what he's saying is, he's saying this. He's explaining the phenomenon of this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They're hearing these, these languages that, that they didn't know normally. They weren't fluent with them, but they're hearing everybody speak in their known tongue. And it's explaining the works of God. And he's going, look, because he's at the right hand of God, he has positional authority to now give his followers his promise of the Holy Spirit. This promise is a messianic promise. It fulfills the scriptures and what they declare, not only in Psalm 16, but other Psalms and Isaiah And Peter shared Jesus because he was empowered by the reality of what Jesus did on the cross, but also because he was resurrected. Peter shared Jesus because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. His life was absolutely changed by this fact. 
He was, in Matthew 16, given a private revelation of who Jesus was. But now he's making a public declaration of who Jesus is. Notice Peter didn't allow for condemnation from his past or even from his present to stop him from sharing Jesus. Jesus changed his past and his present. And look, you don't have to consult anyone to share Jesus with someone. You don't need to turn in your resume. You are fully empowered if you put your faith in Jesus to share Jesus, to be a witness. So look, you don't need permission from me. You don't need permission from people. You don't need permission from a pastor, a church. You don't need permission because you've already been given permission by Jesus Christ himself. He's empowered you. He's equipped you. And that's why even the scriptures say, sometimes you're not even going to know what to say. And then God, boom, hits you. And then you like share a scripture and you're like, I don't even know how I knew that scripture was there. Again, you don't need permission. God's already given you permission. Look, I want to go back to the front part of my, my message. You know, failure may have cost you opportunities. Maybe it's cost you an opportunity on a sports team. Maybe it cost you an opportunity at your job or through your organization. Maybe sin has cost you opportunities because of its consequences. That's a very real statement right there. Jesus does forgive you, but sometimes that consequence can remain. But here's the thing about that. It does not disqualify you from sharing Jesus with others. That's why people in prison can still share Jesus with other prisoners. That's why when Peter or Paul or whoever, one of the disciples was in prison, he still shared Jesus despite their past. I want to be real transparent with you, if I can, for just a second. I failed this past week. I demonstrated behavior, an attitude that was inappropriate towards my children. I yelled at my children. And let me give you the context of why I was yelling. I'm slightly trying to justify it, but it's not justifiable. I was playing softball with our kids. We were practicing softball, and I, I yelled at them. And as I'm, like, yelling at them and as I'm getting on to them, because I, I feel like if they'll just do what I say, they'll be a superstar. <laughs> but as I'm yelling at them, I turn and I look, and I see my neighbors are pulling out the belongings of their loved one out of their home because their loved one had just passed away. He had lived there for almost 86 years, all on that same piece of property. And as they're doing that, I get convicted. I get convicted because this man knew Jesus. He shared Jesus. He loved Jesus. We talked about Jesus together. And I get convicted because this man's no longer with his family, yet I'm yelling at my family. And then so I quickly try to ask my kids for forgiveness. I even say, hey, let's pray. And it was definitely more for me than it was maybe for them. But God just convicted me hardcore, man. And you know what the promise of the Holy Spirit is? Is even when you're messing up, he's going to be with you. To not beat you up but to lift you up. And he used my neighbor's passing to do just that, to lift me up and call out the good father in me because he's a good father. And so I want to ask you for a moment in your life, you may have experienced failure 
But are you allowing that failure to cripple you, to keep you from sharing Jesus? God wants to turn your failure into success just like he turned Peter's multiple failures into success. He used Peter and he'll use you if you'll let him. Maybe you've had a private revelation in your past that God is doing something great in your life, but you've yet to make a public declaration. I wanna encourage you to do that. And I also wanna ask you this, what's preventing you from sharing Jesus at your school, at your job, at the grocery store, in the parking lot? What's preventing you from sharing Jesus? Because spiritual people share Jesus despite their past and present failures. Look, I really believe that this message deserves some type of response. And so I wanna pray for you. And, and the best way I think to do this is just to have everybody stand. I know if you're joining us online, you can't necessarily do that, especially if you're driving or operating heavy machinery. But I really believe that God wants to speak to you. So if you've been encouraged by this message and you're no longer gonna allow the enemy or your past or even your present failures keep you from sharing Jesus, I want you to make a comment in the comments section. And if you're here, here at our uh, Rossview Road location, again, I'm gonna pray and I would just invite you to lift up your hands. God, I thank you for this moment, God, that we've had. This time spent with you as we listen to the teachings of Peter, the writings of Luke. And God, I'm asking that as our hands are lifted, God, would you use our failures for success, your success? Would we no longer be hindered by our past failures, but we would be empowered by your spirit? And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Hey, why don't everybody, let's do this. We do this every week at LifePoint. Let's go all in with our faith. Why don't you repeat this after me? Jesus, I'm all in. I believe you died and you resurrected from the dead. You're exalted. You're at the right hand of the Father and you've empowered me with your spirit. I repent of my sin. I'm all in with you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, can we celebrate with those that have put their faith in Jesus? Hey. Let me encourage you to do this. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, will you let us know? We wanna celebrate with you. All of heaven is celebrating and we wanna connect with you. Also, if you're here at our Rossby Road location, even if you're joining us online and you need prayer, go ahead and put that in the comments section. We have a prayer team that's up here at the front. If you need prayer, don't leave today without having somebody pray for you, amen? Hey, I love you, LifePoint. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great Sunday and a great week. Go make a difference and share Jesus with people.